This week I explore grief, something that's turned up on the podcast a number of times this year. Grief is a very natural but overlooked process that affects all of us. I explored this with Victoria Volk, who specializes in coaching and supporting people with grief, and she's also an end-of-life doula. As we find out, grief is so often narrowly associated with death. However, its impacts are far-ranging as it's the result of any loss, and we incur grief more widely than we realize. Victoria shares the six common myths relating to grief and how they've been shared intergenerationally and become woven into our culture, which results in a real lack of emotional discernment that's having a very real and negative impact upon all of us, and particularly our emotional literacy. Victoria's really good at breaking down the dynamics of grief and walks us through the process to release its grip. This conversation covers a lot of ground. There's a lot of emerging questions that come up, which really provides a lovely full picture in this area that affects you, me, and everyone. So enjoy, Victoria. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today I have the great pleasure of talking with Victoria Volk. Victoria, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. You're very, very welcome. And you're all the way over in the States. Yeah, North Dakota. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. This is the second guest in three weeks that we've had from the States. So it's always fun to look. As great as it is to talk to people in Western Australia, which is most of the conversations, it's awesome to reach out from time to time and use the great technology that we have. It's a great time we live in to do just that so um particularly this year on the podcast i've uh jumped into a number of topics um one relating to death with a lovely young man called joseph andrin and then just a couple of weeks ago um the topic of uh climate and environmental grief came up and so grief was really um something I wanted to dive into a bit more and then I was introduced to you and I thought um, it'd be a great opportunity to dive into this topic a bit further um, given the fact that you do a lot of work um, with people who are struggling with loss um, you know through your support and coaching as well as end of life doula service so um, yeah first of all how, how did you get into this <laughs> I'm a lifelong griever. My father passed away when I was eight. And subsequently, the relationship with my mother had kind of deteriorated over the years because of it. And um, everything's good now. um, But it was really rocky for most of my life. Mm. And I, you know, because grief is cumulative and it's cumulatively negative. I had other things that happened after he Mm. passed away to me and in my life throughout the years. And in grief recovery, we kind of equate it to, you know, as a child, you have a backpack and everything that happens to you, um, death of a loved one, sexual assault, um, poverty, losing a home, moving, all these things, loss of a pet, which is generally kind of the first loss for children often. 
think of it, each loss, like a rock that you put in your backpack. And so by the time we reach adulthood, we have a pretty heavy backpack. Most of us, um, if you accumulate all those losses, right. And I had another loss that, um, kind of just took me over the edge. Like I thought 2014, I'd closed a business. My youngest had started kindergarten and that kind of set off this midlife crisis unraveling I had. And, um, started to really dive into personal development because I, I realized like, why is this, why do these things just keep happening to me? Like, why is there this continual theme of, of, I felt like I was crazy really. I mean, it was really starting to impact my health, which grief does if it's unaddressed, it starts to take a toll on our bodies. Our body's always speaking to us energetically. And so I started to dig into personal development and um, that's really kind of what set things off. And I had another loss a few years after that and realized I wasn't okay. Cause I thought I was, I really thought I was, I'd come a long way. I'd written a book, um, was sharing about personal development and a blog and um, realized I wasn't okay. And found, I went online and did a search for something to find something to help me. Cause I really wanted to feel better And I wanted to help people as well. And I found the Grief Recovery Institute and signed up to be a trained grief recovery specialist and went through the the certification you go through. I went through exactly what I take my clients through and it changed my life. It literally changed my life. I became a Reiki master after that, which um, has been critical in me really understanding my own energy and how, because I'm an empath, um, very highly sensitive, which really helped me make sense of my childhood. Now as an adult, I can look back at my childhood and it makes a lot of sense to me why I needed a lot of sleep, why grief was really impacting me the way it was. Mm. Um, and it really like everything has come full circle in the past few years. Wow. Wow. So, um, let's dive straight into it Uh, at a top level what what is grief Hmm. grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss of any kind yeah it is anything that we wish that would have been different better or more and it's the loss of hopes dreams and expectations so if we look at grief in that context it's a lot of things it's not just the death of a loved one and that's where people that's where people um, really believe that someone has to die in order to grieve. And that's just not the case. And I think too, many people don't connect the dots of what's going on within them as grief. They don't look at their symptoms, their physical symptoms. You know, you can have um, hair loss, you can have weight loss, you can have bowel issues, which is often really common. Like I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome when I was 16. Hmm. Um, you know, so you generally, it, it's these physical symptoms that it manifests in our bodies, but also too, we start to, if we don't address it, it can manifest in our lives outwardly. We can have angry outbursts. We can, um, resort to gambling, uh, sex addiction or sex and love addiction. You can be addicted to shopping, drugs, alcohol, all these different things that these behaviors that we resort to, to feel better 
Mm. But it only makes us feel better for a short period of time. So we got to continue to do those things in order to continue to feel better, right? So we continue yeah. to resort to those things to help. The, the, we think that we're, we feel better, but it really, and then you add on shame. So, so many mm. of those behaviors, there becomes a layer of shame. And that just perpetuates and creates this vicious cycle. And, and just so we're clear, the difference between grief is is related to loss and shame is um, uh, a highly personal thing in, in how we feel about ourselves. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And we tend to internalize that shame. Guilt. guilt is very much related to an act where shame is related to how we view ourselves negatively. Yes, yep. And so I think over time, all these behaviors and these physical things that are happening with us, we, we don't see the world clearly. We, don't see, we see the world from a perspective of feeling damaged, of feeling broken. Yeah. And so if we can't look in the mirror and see ourselves for who we are, rather than the this grief that is creating so much havoc in our lives which again we don't necessarily connect to grief but no. of what we're experiencing because it can be um, life is crazy and like you know i'm a bit nuts and all of that and we can pass ourselves off well yeah and people feel like well this is life this is just how life is and you know crap happens and you just have to deal with it and so there's those people too that will just stuff down and stuff down and stuff down and they think they're dealing with it, but then everything else in their life is falling apart. You know, yeah. they could have money issues. They could, you know, all these things, it impacts every aspect of our lives, every aspect. Hmm. Hmm. Cause I think um, one of the things we overlook is that, you know, without going back all Buddhist is that suffering is a consistency of life and with suffering we have loss and then that that like you say places a heavy burden on us and it's not it's not like any particular trauma or loss it ranks higher or lower on a universal register it's just a loss or that impacts people yes because grief is unique and individual to each of us because our especially in the context of relationships it's unique and individual because you can have let's say you have a family unit like my family take my family for example when my dad passed away we all had the same loss my siblings and i and my and my mother we all had the same loss yes but we all experienced it very differently yes and we you know we all dealt with it very differently actually we all dealt with it the same we didn't talk about it so i mean but these are these are the things that you're well the behavior is similar but the yeah right but here's the thing the behavior is generally the same across the board there are six myths of grief that we tend to learn as children and especially like with yeah with that first loss you know i mentioned first loss as a child you lose a pet yep. don't feel bad don't yeah. feel bad we'll replace the loss. So the first one is don't feel bad. And then we'll replace the loss. We'll get you a different dog. We'll get a different dog, you know, and it's not really addressing the pain of that initial yeah. loss. It's, it's, you know, it's, for sh- it's under the carpet, isn't it? Exactly. It's not really talking about it. It's not addressing the feelings of attachment that that child had to that, that pet. Yeah. Um, and 
So then you have grieve alone. You know, if the child just continually is sad about this pet loss, just if you want to cry, go cry to your room, go cry in your room. Yeah. You know, and how often I've read, I've heard so many stories, even me, myself, Hmm. you want to cry. I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. You know, we've, I mean, these lines that people hear, everyone knows these lines because we're all, so many of us are told this as children. Yes. Because grief brings up something very uncomfortable for us when other people are sad or anger. Anger is a big one too. Anger makes people uncomfortable. And I think anger is an an unacceptable emotion. And so we learn this as children that we can't even express our anger. And so is it a surprise that there's so many people that just literally like abuse themselves because there's this pent up anger or they abuse other people, right? Because they've never learned how to channel and express that. Mm. Um, The other one is be strong, you know, so you might have, um, it's this, especially this is generally a cultural thing too. Not generally, I shouldn't say that where I live, it's, it is a cultural thing because I'm, my background is we're German, French, you know, German Russians came from, you know, where I live it, we actually call it the iron curtain and it's, yeah, it's you're the stoic, the stoic, yeah. you don't talk about your feelings, be tough, be strong. And so that's really carried down through generations, this be mm. strong mentality. And I think a lot of people too, I'll just use an example of a widow, a woman who loses her husband or significant other, yeah. and there's children involved, you know, you have to be people will say that you have to be strong for those kids, you know, yeah. be strong for yourself, be strong for others. That's another myth. Um, oftentimes too, people will keep busy. Oh, yes. Avoid That's it. another myth. Yeah. It's keep busy. Well, just, you know, so you Come don't on, dwell work. on it. Yeah. Just get back to work and yep. Just keep busy. Just I'm preoccupy yourself. <laughs> yep. So you don't think about it. Yeah. Just busy yourself doing other things. So you don't think about it. Um, and everyone knows the line time heals you know the end of the sentence uh time heals might be an wounds. american thing time all wounds time yeah. heals yeah everyone knows yeah. this yeah. <laughs> so and time is time does nothing time just passes right. so that's the last myth of grief is time heals all wounds people will say this oh it just takes time no it's the action we take within time that that changes things otherwise wow. time just passes so so in a strange, I guess in a strange kind of way, given the fact that we often probably implicitly link grief with death, they're probably some of the rare opportunities where it's so transparent and it's so explicit that you give yourself at least some sort of room to actually do something that's akin to a natural grieving process. Whereas all the other myriad of things that go through life that equally we grieve as we lose them, whether it's, you know, a pet, a job, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a car, I I don't know, all the other things, they're all less explicit because they're not really, you know, they're just part of life or so we perceive. And so, yeah, I can imagine that um, 
we're going through these cycles of grief or, or, or not going through the cycles, but we're attempting to go through these cycles of grief more and more often. And yet it's only when we get really big, explicit things that we get even close to allowing ourselves. Would that be correct? I would say that's an experience for many. You know, I think it's, again, I think we all have, this is my opinion. Mm. We all have that loss that kind of just like takes us over the edge. Yes. Like, like enough is enough. Wrong. Yeah. Like yeah. enough is enough. I can't take this anymore. And we seek help. Yes. And my, but it's heartbreaking for me because I think to myself, like, oh my gosh, if I would have had this knowledge and education 20 years ago, how much yeah. suffering I could have spared myself, yeah. you know, and how much differently I would have approached my life. Mm. and live my life mm. so i guess i'm reflecting on it then a better way of saying it is more often than not this is chronic not acute it's, it's built up over time it becomes yeah it becomes yeah and that's the thing we think of it as this acute event like you said but it yeah. becomes chronic when we can't when we don't address it i just think when we mm. don't address it that's and the thing is is that we we create these stories in our minds that we are okay Yes. And you know, how often do people ask you, how are you doing? I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I, I've been busy. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm fine is we say in grief recovery, that's feelings inside, not expressed. Right. So if you, someone would say, say that to you, I'm fine. No. How do you really feel? Yeah, yeah. Then you'll get the real answer. Yeah, stop bullshitting me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. So um, what's coming through loud and clear here is um, almost a, well, a couple of things. One is obviously the cultural level of not being able to express and uh, uh, express these emotions, but also underneath that we become quite emotionally stunted and our emotional literacy, uh, let alone, you know, to even accurately describe it. And it's something I've been, I've only I've had to work on in the last couple of years, you know, to be able to define the difference and understand the difference between grief, shame, guilt, because before there were just one melee of stuff that I didn't like and I would push away. Um, and so a lot of this is it comes to a lack of lack of emotional literacy and then knowing what to do with them. I like how you said that emotional literacy, because I, I think the term emotional intelligence is kind of really, it's kind of a buzzword now. And, but I like emotional literacy because again, we don't have the language. No, and, or the sensitivity, yeah. Right, and I think it's, I think that lack of sensitivity though comes from our own lack of addressing what's within us. Because mm. I think once we do that, we start to see our own lives differently. We start to develop a different perspective and we become more compassionate. Mm. And when we become more compassionate, we have more empathy. And when we have more empathy, that is the bridge for healing for people yeah. is because mm. most people just want to be heard. They just want a, someone to listen. They, you don't want to be fixed, yeah. you know, we, because you're again it's like you have a broken heart you don't have a broken brain yeah. in grief we feel like we are just absolutely broken like like there's yeah. something defective about us and that was me but what i'm understanding now is as being an empath and someone who's highly sensitive who takes on people's emotions as my own 
and I became a caretaker at a really young age of my mother's emotions, Mm. I really internalized a lot growing up and really took on other people's stuff. I didn't, I don't, I didn't understand that actually until very recently. Mm. Like what, you know, why am I getting so drained when I'm out, like out in public and, you know, go to a mall or I go to a shopping center or something and I come home and I'm just like white. I actually get pain. I feel pain in the middle of my shoulder blades. And so I've had to learn how to protect my energy. And I think for empaths, especially highly sensitive people, grief is excruciating. I felt for so long that I guess I'm just here to suffer. That's really how I felt. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's mentally debilitating because you don't even like I, there's so many years that I felt like I wasn't living up to my own potential and that's grief too. That caused me grief as well. <clears throat> mm. Mm. So I imagine um, a large amount of your work has been for you personally has been around um, putting boundaries in place. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, that's the beauty that came out of grief recovery is knowing, oh, I didn't have boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I actually read, I read the book boundaries um, actually last year. And now I just actually, I just finished another book about empaths and learning how to create boundaries, energetic boundaries and learn. Mm-hmm. So I'm still something I'm really, di- I'm diving more into the energetics of it right now, but it's important. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, yeah. Because again, that's that's part of that subtlety, sensitivity, and, and discernment around what's mine, what's someone else's. And then within what's mine, how do I actually understand these feelings that are arising? Again, are they anger? Are they guilt? Are they this? Are they that? Rather than this melee of stuff. And two, I think as children, we aren't taught that boundaries are okay. Mm. Mm. You know, I, I use the example of, you know, when family gets together and the child is told to, well, go give grandma, go give grandma a hug or go give uncle a hug or a kiss or whatever. And the child's personal space, well, I don't want to No, go give your grandma a hug. You know, it's like, the child's personal space isn't even like the child doesn't even understand they can say no because again anger saying no these are unacceptable things as we're getting as we as children and it just really sets us up to become taken advantage of as adults it really does it really does become victims of yep and, and that's very much the sort of breeding ground for codependency. Yes. Later on in life, lack of boundaries, yes. wanting to please, pronounce fawn. Yes. Absolutely. 100%. And yeah, because we, we covered this off with a couple of um, experts last year, and then codependency then gives rise to narcissistic behavior. So it's this nasty little thing that goes on. <laughs> And what results from that? Grief. Yes. Grief because your your life isn't working out as you hoped. Things aren't going as they aren't going well. They're not. You you might realize that you're being abused, like psychologically, psychologically, emotionally, or even physically abused. Like yeah. <laughs> so, more trauma. Just more yeah. trauma. Unless you can acknowledge that, let alone begin to express it, and then hopefully release it. Um, 
yeah it's 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 curtains it's a circle of oh shit that is why adulthood is is our childhood reenactments yes that's my belief yeah was it previous guest said he said where are you on the bus are you at the front or are you on on with your hands on the driving wheel because if you haven't your childish self has <laughs> well and really are you looking as straight ahead or are you looking in the rear view mirror rear view then too you know because oftentimes we're looking in the rear view like what happened in the past what mm. like what's in the past and we're not able all this grief that we are carrying within us we aren't able to look to the future because we're so mm. stuck in the past we're stuck we're emotionally tied to the past we're emotionally tied and have these emotional cords to people who hurt us who you know and you get stuck then too it's so easy to get stuck in 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 feeling like a victim that is the most disempowering thing that can happen to someone is just being stuck in that in that victimhood mm. and that was me for a long a long time too and it's not to discount because i didn't ask for the stuff that happened to me nobody does Never but we always have a choice in how we respond always always yeah and the more we know you know it's like i don't know what i don't know mm. and so i wanted to know why my life was like continuing with these this these patterns that just i could not break out of this cycle and i was a ragey mom too on top of it my kids were young i was a ragey mom because i was so filled with anger and resentment of what you know in my childhood that it showed my chill you know our kids will bring up all the bring out all the ugly <laughs> in us you know that needs to be healed but um yeah yeah actually um oh it's just left my mind i'll, I'll come back to that in a minute um so how how do we carry um grief if we look at it sort of physically mentally emotionally and sort of energetically and spiritually on those four different levels how do we address it you're asking how, how do we carry it how do let we alone carry it? oh gosh and how, how are we processing it on those levels i think of grief as like this it's it's like you have this ball and chain right you just have this ball and chain that you're just dragging with you it feels heavy it feels um you don't feel light you don't feel it zaps your joy um but again you can do behaviors that bring you joy for a time like it mm. might make you happy to go and drink and have fun and be merry with your friends but then you come home at night and you're puking sick and you know then oh this shame comes in you know and so it's it's heavy it's just heavy yeah. it's this heaviness and um we bring it to our relationships we we it impacts like i said before every aspect of our lives and i think i for me personally i i feel like it put a veil it, it like basically blocks your vision of you don't see yourself for who you are mm. because how can you see yourself as a good person if you are just 
so full of hate towards yourself, yeah. depending on you could be someone who internalizes it, like you just hate on yourself, or you just are this really bitter, nasty person that, you know, is a road rager and creates drama in every relationship they have. Yeah. And is that horrible coworker you just can't escape, you know? So it manifests differently for people, but in a lot of ways, it, it kind of manifests the same, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. I often find these things, it's almost like the underlying process is the same for most people, but the subjective experience of that is always different. If that makes sense. Yeah. Not, not everybody can reconcile the two in, at, at once, but for me, I seem to be able to see that there are patterns and, 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 underneath but the patterns are experienced subjectively differently right we don't connect those dots we mm. just don't mm. so um i remember what i was going to ask you just before which was <laughs> the beauty of a live conversation um is that as we move because we were talking about the victim space as we have moved from this extraordinarily stoic place that adheres to you the myths of, of of grief that you were talking about and we are i think i think we have to recognize we are moving some way towards more openly and culturally expressing emotions that are going on as we move to um almost like that acknowledge and express part before we've got to the release part as that has become slightly more accessible is that part of what fuels this i see almost like a proliferation of the people inhabiting the victim space and so it's almost like we've moved that first bit to acknowledge and express what's going on but then are we ready for the next step which is releasing and often we can circle and go round and round in that place because we can now express it which is awesome but you're not finishing the journey. So it's spiraling. And now we're in the victim space where before we were in almost like this denial space, now we're in a victim space before we move on. Is that sort of what you see? Absolutely. Yes. I do think we each, each of us has our own walk of grief. Like it's gonna, that, that time is gonna be different for everybody. But I think the fallacy or this, this people have this idea that, well, this is just how it is. Like, this is just how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life. Mm. That is where we, these ideas and thoughts are perpetuated. When yeah. we get into an environment that doesn't foster moving forward, that doesn't bring any sort of action Yes. step or anything and so yes. i exactly what you're saying i see it online and it's heartbreaking it breaks it literally breaks my heart because yes. i i actually have to like just like i can't follow certain accounts because it's like you don't have to be stuck in this you just don't like it's never too soon and it's never too late i was stuck in that for 30 years over 30 years and it's like that's what just breaks my heart is like you don't have to be stuck in this so mm. by yes giving your grief a voice sharing your story is one thing but not moving yourself forward by not having like 
you got to take some initiative. Hmm. By not doing anything, you are only suffering more. And my thought even is even to a greater extent because you're re-traumatizing yourself quite yes. accurately and articulately. Yes. And so my thought is you're already suffering. You might as well suffer and move your feet. You might as well suffer and be doing something to move you forward. Yeah. And so that's I definitely see that in the online space today. It's like in-person support groups have moved online. Hmm. No one's moving forward. Everyone's perpetuating their own story, living in their own story over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. They feel better because they're getting support. They're getting sympathy. They're getting empathy from people. Yeah. But yet... All the things they probably want. Likes and comments. And so it's, it's, it's yeah, I think it's just a recipe for people, for keeping people stuck. I really yeah. do. And then with that, keeping stuck then it story becomes part of their identity. Yes. You live into that. that. You become a martyr, become a martyr of your own grief. It's yeah. It's Mm. like, well, I guess, yep. Stakes in the ground. This is just my life. And you know, it's, that's a sad place to move on now because this is me. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Especially in certain, there's certain kinds of losses where that's even, I see that more so especially a case of suicide. If you lose someone by suicide, it's really, um, you're a, you know, uh, the loved ones might say, identify themselves as a suicide survivor. Um, that's heartbreaking for me to, when I hmm. hear that. It really is. That, that label perpetuates something. Yeah. So when you're um, working with clients, um, I think, one of the questions I had about was about is there a natural process that we go through? But then earlier you were saying about, you know, time heals all wounds, <laughs> doesn't. <laughs> um, so therefore, you know, and, and given what we've just spoken about is that, you know, you've got to move your feet in this. What are some of the things you actually do with your clients to help them move through this journey probably i wouldn't say the word better but probably with a bit more ease and grace shall we say yeah so grief recovery is i can offer it both in person and online and online it's a seven week program so you know that at the start of this seven weeks from now you will have worked through the hardest loss of your life you will have emotionally addressed what is incomplete for you. Mm. And it is an evidence-based proven method for moving through grief. It is evidence-based. Kent University did a study on this Mm -hmm. and it's in the publication phase. Um, It is the only evidence proven method for moving through grief and it just works. I have um, losses that people have experienced that I know have gone through the program. Actually, one of the train she's a she's um, a trainer. She not excuse me. She's not a trainer. She's um, uh, like head of marketing of the institute. Um, she was on my podcast actually, so I can share this. But you know, she was a victim of sexual assault by her own father and her uncle in a cult like manner. 
Um, right. Religion was used against her. Um, satanic, like ritualistic type stuff. Um, she became a meth addict. And um, grief recovery is the one thing that helped her, is the thing that helped her. And she is now, she does what I do. Um, and she's, yeah, it, it has helped people in all walks of life, no matter the loss, um, no matter how the time frame, whether it was, I've had clients that I've walked through this three months after the death of a loved one. Um, my, my, me, myself, it was over 30 years hmm. and it's never too late and it's never too soon. And what we do is we walk you through in a supported guided way working through emotionally what is incomplete yeah in a structured way and again you know that at the start of it it's seven weeks so you're not going to go to the support group for 12 years yeah saying the same Dragon. story Dragon. yes yeah and i've heard people um i've heard stories of people who have shared that like they never want to go to another support group again because someone introduced themselves and said, well, I've been coming here for seven years or 12 years or whatever, however many years. And they'll walk out and be like, I never want to, this is not for me. I don't want to be, I don't want to be coming here for seven years. Hmm. You know, that's not life. That's not living no. when you're, when you're stuck in that story of what happened, it's not moving you forward. So hmm. this is an action educational program. It's education and it's action. And, and, and what it's is phenomenal. Sort of, yeah, it, it is because, um, you know, we, we've highlighted how poor we are at this at the best of times. And even probably, um, even if we were a bit more empathetic, it's still struggling around in the dark, if you know what I mean. So to have something, a process um, that someone can gracefully take you through so that we can at least get to a place of stability at the end of it is um, kind of makes sense, really. People might, people might say too, it's like, there's no cookie cutter, one size fits all method, right? But no. what's different about this is that it is individualized to you and to yeah. your loss. Mm. So that's why it's not based on any religion. It's not, it's nothing like that. It is yeah. individual to you. And that's why, and I think that's why it really works the way it does. Mm. And what, so what are some of the steps that we go through during the seven weeks? Well, first, the first that's few weeks that. is, yeah, the first few weeks is actually education. It's a lot of education. And that alone helps people understand their grief, mm. kind of connect the dots to what's been happening in their life throughout the years or recent or it mm. really, and it always, it always, always, always has tied back to somehow something in their childhood. Mm. It always does. Always because we learn these things as children. Um, and so education is part is the first part of it. And then we move into the steps, which um, talks about, we get into apologies, we get into forgiveness, which is huge. huge. It, that's a big 
stumbling block for so many people, especially mm. in an instance of abuse. Um, and I was sexually abused as a child. So that was really difficult for me to, but we have a process for doing that. It's, mm. it's nothing that's pushed, you know, there's always a way to um, work through that. And so that's why you, this method is actually outlined in a book. It's the grief recovery handbook. Mm. I encourage anybody to read it, but you can't go through this alone. And that's no. the thing. Like we do not work through this stuff on our own. I tried, I tried, yeah. I got the book. I'd read it. I tried. <laughs> no, it doesn't, doesn't. Nah, nope. Nothing's going to, it's not going to work. Yeah. So yeah, you do need someone who is trained that can yeah. help you, you know, because hmm. oftentimes too, oftentimes too, like, um, a big part of like, I'm a heart with ears. That's what we call in grief recovery. And for many of us, we don't have that in our lives because hmm. the people closest to us are often the, 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 the heart with ears in your life is probably not going to be someone who has skin in your game. Yeah of life. So most of us, many of us don't have that person that can just listen without analysis, criticism, or judgment. Mm. And that's really the, the foundation of, of grief recovery is you actually experience that probably for many the first time in their life. Mm. Mm. I guess, um, on one level, it, it's, it's kind of sad that we don't have these, uh, people like yourself just interwoven into community anyway do you know what i mean as opposed to having to find people out and um commercially interact with them do you get what i mean mm -hmm. but you know i bring my empathy empathy is my number one strength actually and i bring that to my life and everyday interactions i feel like and mm. so we can be there's all kinds of healers and helpers out there you don't have to have a credential of a grief recovery specialist to hmm. show empathy or compassion to people. But my point in saying this is that, or what I want to highlight is that I feel like, and what I've personally learned is that we cannot sit with others in their pain. If we have not been able to sit in our own, hmm. Hmm. we help others to the extent that we have helped ourselves mm. otherwise you're just gonna get triggered and exactly then you're not, you're bingo any use to anybody and that is why we are so so many of us are uncomfortable with other people's grief because of what it brings up for us mm. 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 and we don't know what to say we don't know how to respond we don't know what to do all of these things yeah. yeah yeah so you're saying with the method that um there's the education there's the forgiveness what are the other key components over the journey it really is about it, you take these action steps to work through apologies and forgiveness and these it's really diving into what is emotionally incomplete right. that's really the that's that's the that is the but you it's expressing it with someone who's hearing it without criticism analysis or judgment mm. 
And that's why it just doesn't work with just anybody. Yes. Yeah. Because you're always going to have somebody, you know, if you, if you, um, what often happens is people try and share about what's happening with them. And then either I've, this is why I started my podcast, to be honest, like the yeah. education of grief. And so people can share their story without analysis, criticism, and judgment. Yes. Yes. And, yes. and people I've actually, the feedback I've gotten is that, wow, that was really therapeutic. Yeah. Like, because they actually felt heard, right. They felt heard without someone trying to like fix them or, you know, I get um, the same with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's just listen, just listen, mm. you know, We're we just don't have the skills. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Very true. Interestingly, um, a previous guest, Dr. Bill Saunders, who's, what, who's been one of the, the, the Western Australia's leading um, clinical psychologists, particularly when it comes to alcohol and, and, and drug addiction. And um, he recently came back on the podcast and he said, you know, you can boil all the techniques down, but ultimately it's about being in close proximity with someone and listening to them and asking them what happened. Mm, what happened? Thank you for bringing that up. I just got goosebumps because I, that's kind of been the theme running theme lately in, in the work that I'm doing in the podcast interviews I've shared recently is the idea that um, people are so overly medicated that no one asks what happened, mm. what happened to you. And mm. let's just, let's just pill, put a pill on the symptoms and let's not address what's really going on. Like, mm. let's not address, like get, let's, let's pull the weed from the root, Yeah, <laughs> you know, instead of putting like roundup on it, you know, um, that's, that's how I, I get really fired up about this. So I'll, I'll try and like simmer down, but I do because it happened to me. It happened to me. It's, it's, it's this idea of when you go to get help, mm. there isn't this convert, there isn't a conversation about what happened to you. Mm. There just isn't. It's mm. what are your symptoms? Okay. You're depressed you feel depressed, you're having a depressive mood, you're, well, you know, I was molested as a child, my dad died when I was a child, and my mom, relationship with my mom is a train wreck, so, you know, I just had two babies, I'm having postpartum, like, what else you want, you know, <laughs> okay, we'll just take this pill, and you're, everything will be fine, no, that doesn't happen, that's not reality, and First, a lot of people too, talk therapy alone isn't going to help either because no. you can talk, talk, talk therapy is like going to the support group for 12 years, right? Mm. Are you taking action? No. Well, then you'll probably continue with talk therapy for the rest of your life, right? Mm. Unless you take action. So I do get fired up about this. <laughs> really? Is that right? <laughs> I do. It's, oh, it's like. And again, I actually had someone on my podcast who was bipolar, yeah. undiagnosed for like 20 some years. And he said, bipolar is the, is the illness of loss. And he did, he lost everything. Hmm. He was living in a shack, sleeping on a mattress, living in a cabin and with nothing else in it, but a mattress. And he was at the end of his rope in a life. And he said, but someone with bipolar is not going to go into 
see the doctor and get help when they're manic. They're going to go in when they're depressed. Correct. And unless that physician is doing a diagnostic assessment of everything, of all the symptoms of everything, of history, like family history of bipolar, family history of mental illness. The one thing he taught me was that if that physician puts someone who is bipolar on an antidepressant without a mood stabilizer, that will send them into a manic state. And I could not, that is one thing that I was like, why is this not being like screamed from the rooftops? Like, why is this not, this is what sets people into a manic state who are bipolar undiagnosed when they go to the doctor because they're depressed, they get put on a pill without a mood stabilizer because the, the proper screening was not done. Mm. And when you can go to a nurse practitioner, which I did to get an antidepressant, why is that even possible? Like that should not even be possible. Like yeah. we, should, we should leave that to psychologists and psychiatrists to, I don't know, whichever one there's one of those can prescribe one can, I think I can't, I'm not sure, but yes, thank you. Yeah. You know, that's when you get into the scary world. It is. That's why we have so many people addicted to heroin because they couldn't get so many, they couldn't, they couldn't get their antidepressants anymore, or, you know, they went to so many doctors, they couldn't get them filled because now that, oh, look what we created this opioid crisis in, in the United States now, oh, let's back up then the prescriptions. And now yeah. they're taking heroin. Yeah. Now they're on heroin hmm. or fentanyl or, you know, I've had so many guests say this, say the very same thing, like a, a child, how many children are put on, on antidepressants? And hmm. meth like drugs is yes. I had one, the one podcast episode I just aired not long ago, he was put on a meth like drug when he was eight, eight years old for ADHD. Um, yeah, for ADHD and he was acting out. Okay. He was gay. His mom was deaf and he was being bullied. He was a grieving child. He was a grieving child. And you know what? He's not on anti, he's not on anything right now. Like he's mm. not on antidepressants anymore. Like, cause he's been doing a lot of inner work and therapy and EMDR and all these other things. I'm saying there's alternatives to drugs, but that yeah. is usually the quick, the quick fix, you know, coming, coming out of the drugs. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I'm, bringing, I'm bringing you down for a minute. <laughs> It is. It's just a tragedy. It's a tragedy. No, it is. It is. You know, and it. I guess you know. One of the questions I like to ask my guests, but I think you've already done it, is, is what is it like to know what you know and then look into the world, you mm. know, outside of it. And I think you've just given me the answer to that. Heartbreaking. 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 Indeed. But, um. So as I was going to say, uh, coming out of the drugs for a minute. Um. Do you find that with your clients, you know? once we've gone through this period of um almost uh navigating your way through the the overwhelm the emotional part of it do they get to a, a almost like a question an existential questioning point where it's like whoa i'm not here for that long um what is this about you know when, once you've once the overwhelm has subsided, that's when I find the, 
these openings to these bigger questions, which can cause another realm of overwhelm by, yeah. But um, how, how do you help, do they have that? How do you help them navigate that part? Because that's really interesting as well, that bit. It is the side effect. <laughs> it's the side effect, I think, of actually working through your crap is yeah. looking, is seeing yourself and the world more clearly. Mm. Really. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Like it, because when we start to come, when we start to come back to home, to ourselves, within ourselves, I can speak for myself is like I said, I didn't understand. I didn't even know my own potential because I was so wrapped up in this victim story and I couldn't see the forest through the trees. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't see what was possible. Mm. Um, and so yeah a side effect of working through my stuff is like oh my god this whole world of possibility opened up for me mm. i'd never experienced a reiki session in my entire life i got reiki one and level one and two certified because i just kept i was more open to my own intuition i kept hearing reiki 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 I'm like, what the heck is reiki which is energy healing by the way if you're not sure yeah. and so I followed that curiosity and it led me to, I went through all the training. I became a Reiki master, but it's been the one modality that's helped support the grief recovery work that I do because I need to help. I need to make sure that I'm filling my cup. Oh yeah. So it's, you know, supporting me in the work that I do so I can, so I can be there fully for the clients I work with and for my podcast guests. And, you know, cause people I've actually had people say to me, I'm really concerned about you. You know, because empathy is my number one strength. And how are you protecting your energy? Like how are, oh, that has to be really depressing, mm. you know, hearing people's stories and, and, but it's learning to know what's mine and what's not right. Yeah. But I think for the general public, again, I think it, that's the byproduct of working through your stuff is you start to see yourself more clearly in others. Mm. And, and, and then I, I find that being able to stay in a conversation means that, because you're not getting triggered, means that you can open up a connection at a, at a far more exciting level, which means that what to the outsider looks like, oh, that looks like some heavy shit. You come away, I come away from it sometimes going, that was like so life reaffirming. Yes. It opens us up to deeper connection, just exactly what you said. Mm. And then we start to think about maybe our spirituality and, and our faith. And we start to question all these things. Mm. And if you're open to being open, you'll receive guidance and intuitive messages. And, you know, and all of these strengthen over time, as long as we nurture them within us, you know, I mm. think. Um. Do you, do you, can you, do you ever look at, obviously we've talked very much around the individual. Um, if we start chunking that out now to um, groups, to nationalities, to countries, to, you know, 
is it possible to take the lens of how we individually process and move through grief and then apply it to groups? I think there are culturally, culturally are certain mm. ways that groups of people may view grief or may or may not work through it. Or mm. I think even overall, just our, how are like, how we have this death aversion, like we are so afraid of death. Mm. And I think just over the years, I've actually um, read something a few months back about how society itself like here in the states anyway our ants like ancestors before would actually remain with the dead for several days hmm. take pictures with the dead hmm. um it, the family was very much involved in the dying process and the grieving process and the few like the funeral preparation and everything like that and we've over time throughout the years we've really separated ourselves from that experience of of you know that process of you know a funeral or the mm. dying the process of dying yeah and i think and so i think that's only created more of this mm. um isolation yeah. yeah i can see that as in you know there used to be in from what you're saying and what i understand these to be like almost entrenched cultural rituals mm -hmm. which have now been outsourced to undertakers <laughs> yes yes and more yeah and i think that has an impact on how we grieve mm. um actually Dr. Now, we're Chris... now we're isolating it and outsourcing it as opposed to distributing it yeah and we're, we distance ourselves right like mm. and that's one thing i got from my end of life doula which is, training is which is what we do with so many things yes in our, in our weird world weird being western uh, western educated industrialist rich democracy you know, we outsource things whether it's extraction whether it's violence whether it's as opposed to distributing it amongst ourselves yeah. And I think too, we have to understand that individually we impact and we have ripples of mm. our actions, our actions and our, our words and our thoughts, even our energy. And we have an impact. Mm. And I don't think we understand our impact that we have on the impact we have on people. It isn't until like our eulogy and, and after we die, people are talking about our impact, the impact that we had on them. Right. And I yeah. think that's, if we lived our lives, like I have an impact, like what I do matters, what I say matters. I became, if we became more conscious about that, it trickles out, whether it's yeah. in our communities, our neighborhoods, our groups of people, it's, and it adds to this collective, I'll say vibrational energy that we bring to the world. You know, so I do think it starts as an individual, but it ripples out. That's why yeah. it matters. That's why it matters to work through your crap. Yeah. yeah. Because Otherwise. you have an impact. Yeah. And that impact could be if you've not, you know, attended to your wounds, you'll just carry on bleeding all over everybody. Yes. <laughs> There's your quotable right there. Yeah. Oh, you can't, you can't pin that on me. I think I've read it. <laughs> 
And 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 following from what you were saying, it, it, I read. Oh, I can't remember who wrote it. Um, that you go back a couple of generations time, you've got um, people would happily and openly talk about death, but not money. Now, people happily talk about money, but not death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so the importance of a higher authority of the market increases over life and death. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And um, yeah, it was it was interesting because I was when I when I considered this conversation and I was thinking about the societal level of it, I was going towards this. You know, we, we're very much moving towards this beautification and stuff like that. But in this discussion of what you've just brought up with, you know, being with the dead, taking pictures with the dead, I realized that we've actually slayed some of our symbols and rituals around this, which help to maintain knowledge within them and understanding that remains in the culture for us to access. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it comes back to like what, so what do we want to pass on to the next generation what do we want the next generation mm. to be like and i think it's people speaking up about these taboo topics mm. that help to create the change that um just helps to bring more understanding to something mm. that is really misunderstood yeah yeah i really enjoyed this conversation it's been <laughs> I got a little spirited. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's good. I like it. It's called WA Real for a reason. <laughs> um, do you think we've 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 covered most of the area? <laughs> I think so. Um, is there any? Do you have any questions? Any other questions? No, I only I only have one more question, but that's my final closing question at the best of times. But you know, um, I've certainly enjoyed going all across the terrain as it were can i ask you a question for sure for sure so what was the ah uh, did you have any aha moments of what i shared about grief um i think there's a couple of things um, um starting with the backpack but then also linking it to the the lack of um, emotional literacy um so i shared some of them but then i think i think the biggest one um was the one that i've just we just picked up on a minute ago about the fact that um we have taken rituals out of our culture um and hence and i guess and you know what I'm about to say, I don't say it in any way to uh, offend, but in a strange kind of way, you're having to, you are providing a service um, and, and having to do it commercially because it's no longer within our communities and in our society if you get what I mean, because the skills, you know, the skills, the reverence, the, the rituals, the symbols have been taken out and taken out and taken out. 
yet this is still a very uh human response that you know no pills no uploading to facebook or google is ever going to get rid of because we're human beings and this is how we do life and so you know where before there would at least be some sort of support mechanism and something via the medium of uh, rituals and symbols and, and, and a reverence a degree of reverence for the cycle of life and death with that being swept away and swept away and swept away and swept away we're at this um sort of strange place where in order to healthily process my grief i have to reach out and go and pay for a service the same as i might have to get my car serviced and and i'm not being demeaning to you by any stretch of the imagination but it's it's kind of a weird and wacky world that we're heading towards where where you know you're now a specialist in an area that by rights should be woven into our community and that's does that make sense yes bingo you've connected the dots you've connected the dots because of, of how we've gotten here right of yes. how we've gotten to where we are and the interesting thing quite is time thinking about systems and complex systems and how we've got to how we've got to well, and me just going through my end of life doula training versus the experience I actually had with the passing of my father, because he had cancer and he was in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. And it brings me great sadness to know that he could have had a different experience. Yeah. The last of his days could have been so much different. He could have been empowered to make decisions that were, that were what he desired. Yeah. Um, we could have been more involved as a family because an end of life doula helps the dying create their end of days. Yes. What legacy do you want to leave? How yeah. do you want to go out of this world? Do you want your family and loved ones to wash your body? Like that never even occurred to me until I got my training. Like, was that even possible? Like so many people don't even think that's possible. Hmm. You know, to really have this last loving gesture to their for their loved one. Yeah. Um, and so it really helps doulas help to bridge the gap between the medicalization. Yes. Here's this is the thing too. I'll circle back to that. But families don't know that they have the option to really, and even those dying, that, that it could be different. Like it doesn't yeah. have to be this way, you know. Um but how we medicalize death and dying, we medicalize yeah, we, grief. Like we do birth. Right. Even yeah. like just, but we medicalize dying in that, you know, let's do the scans. Let's, you know, do the chemo. Let's do all these things, even though the doctor may know it's not going to change the outcome. Mm. So instead this person is spending their last of, their life in a hospital bed when they could be in hospice where their symptoms are managed but yet they can stay lucid enough hmm. to actually have a conversation with their loved ones yeah. and experience a, an end of life experience that is really a completion of their of their life hmm. in a beautiful way like that's possible 
and so many people don't think that is. Now, of course, in an instance of a car accident or something tragic, that isn't possible. Sure. And I actually, I actually thought, I want to go quick. I don't know what's happening, you know. Mm -hmm. But my end of life doula training, actually, it's not that I wish for cancer. But if I'm given the opportunity to choose how I go out, and I can give my loved ones a beautiful experience of my end of days to share with me, that does a lot for their bereavement. That's mm. one thing I've learned is mm. if we can stop medicalizing dying and death and get back to, and, and grief, like with the pills, yeah. you know, let's quit medicalizing grief. <laughs> yeah. Um, we would be a better society for it. Mm. Mm. And you can extend that back to birth which is apparently one of our first areas of grief. When yeah, we yeah. I actually just heard a story yesterday. A woman was sharing on social media about she had a, a really traumatic cesarean. Her first child was a cesarean, a C-section birth, and she really wanted a VBAC, you know, vaginal birth after a cesarean. And the doctor, the hospital is like, nope, 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 too risky, too risky. Your babies are too big. You're too small. It's too risky. She changed hospitals hired a birth doula and had her VBAC. But had she listened to this, you know, what they were mm -hmm. telling her, you know, she went with her intuition. She went with what she wanted. Um, it was, it was a beautiful experience that she had, you mm -hmm. know? So I think no one knows you better than you. Um, but at the same time, when you're full of grief, it's really hard to know what you need and what you, you know, what you need, but ruminating in the story is not going to help you no as as we discussed earlier on yeah so the last question i still like to ask all my guests and it's a hypothetical one which i enjoy the answer to is if i could just slow down the whole world for 10 minutes and Vic, and i would allow you victoria to upload one single question into the collective consciousness so everyone just sat down quietly and thought about it for 10 minutes what would that be Ooh, that's a good question. Can I get back to you on that? No. <laughs> oh man. Wow. That's a profound question. I love that. Um, what does your heart need to say? There you go. What does your heart say? That just comes straight up for you. Yeah. Because I, like. I think we really don't take the time to connect with our hearts. Hmm. It's all up in logic. Up in cognitive world. Yep. Hmm. What's yours? Oh, I got asked that in the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, then you last, should have an answer. The last podcast guest, who as well was from the US, decided that he'd flip it right around onto me to give himself <laughs> some space to think about it. But I answered first. Yeah, yeah. So what's mine today? Um, how are you choosing life today? It's a good one. Hmm. Particularly given the topic of conversation that we've had, how are you choosing life? You know, it, 
instead of what we were talking about earlier on when you were saying like you know someone's a, a suicide survivor or something like that you know it's the away from it's what you're going towards why choosing life i have another one actually and i think oh. this comes it comes back to the I don't normally let guests have two, but go on. They said it's good. <laughs> oh, it is good. If you had one year to live, how would you live your life today? It's kind of piggybacking yours, but yeah, if you had one year to live, how would you want to spend it? What would you do differently? Hmm. Okay, that's like 10 questions. <laughs> but yeah, I can see where you're going with it. Yeah. Victoria, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. So have I. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And if people want to um, reach out and connect, where can they find you? My website, theunleashedheart.com. I have all the links to everything on there on social media. I'm at The Unleashed Heart on Instagram. And my podcast is Grieving Voices. Mm. Victoria, thank you so much for your time. I've super enjoyed it. Thank you.